Welcome to Up in the Sky, aviation and travel podcast. Stay tuned for up-to-date aviation and travel news, followed by this week's topic of discussion. Now here's your host, Ebony J. everyone and welcome to episode four of up in the sky aviation and travel podcast with me ebony j so i really can't believe we're already on episode four it seems to be going so fast but i am really enjoying making these podcasts so i hope you're all having a great week and thanks for tuning into this podcast so let's get things started and head into some aviation and travel news first up with some news from Iceland and some actual positive news this week which might be upturned within my next bit of news but Iceland has now reopened the borders to travellers that can prove that they have been vaccinated against the coronavirus so opening their borders on the 18th of March Iceland actually becomes one of the first European countries to actually open their borders which means that travellers won't have to quarantine or take Covid tests to actually visit Iceland so this is due to Iceland only having a few daily COVID cases compared to other countries within Europe that announced this week that they could actually be going into a third lockdown. So in order to travel to Iceland, passengers will need to be fully vaccinated with one of the four known COVID vaccines that include the Pfizer, the debatable Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, the popular Moderna vaccine and the Johnson vaccine. So with being one of the first countries to introduce the opening of their borders without tests or quarantine, I think many countries will be looking into Iceland's COVID cases and seeing if they can follow in the same direction. So hopefully this goes the right way for Iceland and they can have a decrease in COVID cases or even if they had the same sort of level of daily COVID cases that could be quite good as long as there's no increase in covid cases and hopefully iceland tourism will improve and the economy will improve but however with this positive news in iceland there were was actually another event this week that did impact tourists and flights coming into iceland and that was with the eruption last friday of the volcano called now i'm sorry for my pronunciation i've been trying to look into how to to pronounce these words of the volcano called Bagradalfjak. i think i said that right which is just 25 miles from iceland's capital Reykjavik. so the eruption caused cancellations to flights all day on friday at Reykjavik international airport and the iceland met office gave a statement explaining that the weather on the peninsula is wet and windy and people could actually see an orange glow in the low clouds on the horizon within local town Grindavik. So the eruption site in the valley was about 4.7 kilometres inland from the southern coast of the peninsula and at present there were no reports of ashfall although gas emissions were to be expected. So I'm guessing that everyone remembers the impact back in Easter of 2010 when the volcano, sorry for my pronunciation here, Heyafiatalakatol, I think I said that right, apologies if I didn't, 
so that volcano also erupted and that actually caused ash clouds and the ash clouds caused loads of cancellations of flights over both Europe and America. I remember it being the Easter holidays and when we came back to school after the holidays there was literally hardly anyone in our class just because they all went abroad on their holidays and were actually stranded in so many different destinations due to the volcano ash. So hopefully in a future episode I might go into detail about this crisis but luckily the recent volcano eruption last Friday didn't actually affect flights over Europe after being described as an effusive eruption. That means that the magma has a low ascent and leads to a steady flow of lava coming from the volcano. So compared to the volcano that erupted in 2010 that had a higher ascent or ascent of magma and actually caused quite a large explosion which led to the ash clouds so as of saturday when i did check the departures at Reykjavik airport it did look like all flights were departing and arriving just as scheduled so fingers crossed there'll be no further impacts on flights from this eruption and hopefully this will be on the positive side for Iceland opening up their borders as well. So over to America now and some PR news from American low-cost airline Spirit, where a passenger has actually spoken out after her four-year-old autistic son was actually thrown off a flight for not wearing a mask. The family was flying back home from Las Vegas with a stopover at Dallas Airport. So the family had just sat down in their seats and Mother Callie said her son was sitting quietly just looking at the planes as he did have a keen interest in planes, which is really great to hear. But he was then approached by crew and Carter was asked to put on a mask. His father actually showed the crew a medical note from Carter's physician that was making him exempt from wearing a mask as his mother explained that Carter has non-verbal autism and if he did wear the mask he would actually try to hold his breath and sort of freak out and it's quite nerve-wracking wearing that mask and you feel like you sort of can't breathe and Carter's mum Callie sort of said he would actually end up harming himself if he did actually wear the mask however even though autism is protected by the American Disability Act airport's crews actually told the family that autism was not a disability which is actually really shocking to hear so after vacating the flight the family managed to get tickets on an American's airline flight and they were happily able to accommodate the family which is great to hear but it is said that the family is still wanting a refund for from Spirit, which is too right after being discriminated and humiliated by being thrown off the flight. So according to CBS, Spirit actually released a statement saying that their existing policy does not provide for medical exceptions regardless of their diagnosis. But it is seen that Spirit may have also faced some backlash, which is great, from Carter's discrimination by revealing that starting on March 19th, 2021, guests with a medical disability who are travelling after March 22nd can actually apply for exemption as providing on the federal mandatory requiring masks in airports and on planes. I really believe that Spirit should actually apologise to the passengers for humiliating and discriminating them. The family explained and even had a medical note as evidence to say he's exempt, but the airline was wanting to make masks mandatory for everyone, 
which could be really daunting for those with autism. I think Spirit Airline might actually lose quite a few passengers after this was made public, but I'm glad that the family was actually able to get back home on American Airlines and that the airline actually happily accommodated them. So let me know your opinions on this matter on my Instagram page at Up in the Sky Aviation. Okay, and now for some travel news. So quite a few travel quite a quick travel segment this week and it was announced that with the Tokyo Olympics now the Tokyo Olympics was meant to happen in 2020 however of course due to Covid it was now delayed and rescheduled to this year but this week there was an announcement from the Tokyo Olympic Organising Committee this week saying that international travellers will not be allowed to come over to Tokyo to watch the Olympic events and they are actually thinking of barring international volunteers from helping out at the games as well. So this comes as a survey revealed that the Japanese public were getting a bit wary of international spectators coming in, just as they are sort of at the end of the pandemic, and the COVID rates are actually lowering in Japan. So the public probably don't want to be in a lockdown due to gatherings of crowds at this big event. So the committee has actually announced that they will refund all tickets for international customers that book to see an event within Tokyo. To be honest, I think that that is definitely the right way to go. So it will give the Japanese public more chance to enjoy watching the games without being sort of mixed with international travellers who may have carried variants over to Japan. And of course, it would help all the countries in the long run because you never know what there could be sort of COVID variants within Japan or like you said, mixing of international travellers from various different countries. There could be just a whole outbreak across the world again. So I think the Olympic Committee actually did the right thing in banning international travellers just for the time being. So there will be another chance, hopefully in the 2024 Olympic Games and international travellers can go and actually watch the events. So I think that was a good decision made by the Tokyo Olympic Committee. So now heading down to Australia now and an article that was released from the Australian Aviation News Forum and this has confirmed that a Qantas pilot is actually suing Qantas as she has been suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder after a mid-air engine failure on one of the Qantas's 717. So Jacinda Coty, I think I said that surname right, is hoping to receive $780,000 from the airline for not maintaining the aircraft. So Jacinda was operating the 717 on a Qantas Link flight from Alice Spring to Brisbane back in March 2018, where the engine actually failed 550 kilometres from its destination in Brisbane and were actually met by emergency services when landing in Brisbane shortly later they didn't have to make an emergency landing as being so close but they were met by emergency services so the engine failure was said to have been caused by the damage of the compressor blades but Jacinda is claiming against the airline for loss of earnings due to suffering from post-traumatic stress from the incident and missing a lot of work because of this and she's also accusing Qantas of poor maintenance of their 717 that was moved to Canberra I think I said that right and Singapore for better engineering of the aircraft and then 
The aircraft was actually said to be removed from its original Hobart route because of maintenance issues and then was used to fly that route that Jacinda was flying. So Jacinda and her lawyer have stated that this incident actually proves that the airline should be responsible in looking after their staff and making sure their aircrafts are ready for staff to fly and that Qantas did actually breach a duty of duty of care. However, a Qantas spokesperson has hit back and said that all Qantas aircrafts are maintained to the highest safety standards and their fleet of Boeing 717 aircrafts have actually a 99.99% reliability rate. So this is the only engine at this in this incident to actually shut down on a Qantas Link B17 fleet over a five-year period. Let me know what you think about this, because I understand how traumatic the post-traumatic stress disorder is, and I do understand why she is doing Qantas, but like Qantas said, they haven't really had an accident on one of those Boeing 717s for over five years. But I, I do sort of side with Jacinda. So let me know what you think again. And finally over to Germany and some quite sad news on a Condor flight this week. On Saturday, flight DE199, a 767, travelling from Varadio, I think I said that right, in Cuba to Frankfurt, Germany, had to make a quick landing in Shannon Airport in Ireland around 7.30am on the Sunday morning after departing from Cuba the night before. This was sadly because 53-year-old German politician Karen Strenz sadly passed away upon the flight. Strenz, who represented the CDU party in the northeastern states of Germany, was travelling with her husband when she actually fell unconscious a few hours into the flight. A doctor and intensive care nurse who was luckily on board did try to stabilise her whilst the crew got emergency clearance to actually land in Shannon Airport. <clears throat> but they were met once landing at Shannon Airport by paramedics that actually took strands to the University Hospital of Limerick but unfortunately was pronounced dead short after, shortly after being admitted. So a post-mortem will be taking a place within the next few weeks to find out the cause of the death and the aircraft was luckily able to take off two and a half hours later from Shannon back to Frankfurt. So this is quite sad news this week and thoughts and prayers do go out to Karen Strenz and her family and friends at this really tragic time. So that concludes the news segment for this week and now on to our topic of discussion. Right, so now on to our topic of discussion and we are looking into the Tenerife airport disaster. So on March 27th, 1977, two Boeing 747s were heading for Las Palmas Airport in Gran Canaria. Both 747s were charter flights with most passengers heading to Gran Canaria on their holidays. As within the Canary Islands, there are multiple islands that are really popular summer holiday destinations really great weather there i've only been to gran canaria but i really enjoyed myself there so i would really recommend a holiday in the canary islands 
But back to it. So one of the 747s belonged to Dutch airline KLM. And this was flight 4805 that had departed from Amsterdam Schiphol Airport with 235 passengers and 14 crew on board, including First Officer Klaus Meurs, Flight Engineer William Schroeder and Captain Jacob Van Zanten, who was actually a really well-respected pilot and captain and also trained other pilots with their schooling of becoming a pilot within the airline and Van Zanten actually appeared on quite a few of KLM's advertisements and was a really famous pilot throughout the whole of the Netherlands. So the other 747 belonged to Pan Am. On... Now Pan Am was a popular American airline that ceased operations in 1991 after becoming bankrupt but this Pan Am flight 1736 was coming from Los Angeles, but also stopping in New York just to swap the crew and pick up some more passengers. So the flight had 378 passengers and 13 crew on board with three crew in the cockpit. These were Captain Victor Grubbs, First Officer Robert Braggs and Flight Engineer George Warns. So, with both flights heading to Las Palmas, there was suddenly a phone call taken at Las Palmas Airport to say that a bomb had actually been planted at the airport by the Canary Islands Independence Movement. And that was about 1.15pm and the bomb suddenly went off within the airport, sadly injuring eight people. So, from this, there was a call made afterwards to actually say that a second bomb had could have been planted in the airport so the civil aviation authorities actually decided to close las palmas and divert incoming flights from las palmas over to los rodeos airport on nearby island tenerife so this included both 747s that were heading to Las Palmas. So they were contacted by Las Palmas Air Traffic Control and was told to divert. But Pan Am actually replied asking if they could go into a holding pattern until the airport opens, but was actually declined by the ATC. So when I say ATC now, that's going to mean air, air traffic control. So this was actually declined by the ATC and Funny enough, crew on the KLM flight did obey the orders, but they were starting to get a bit worried that the delays from this explosion could actually impact their career duty times, meaning they may not be able to follow their schedule and fly back to Amsterdam from their landing in Gran Canaria. So the two flights were then heading for Los Rodeos along with five big other airlines and quite a few smaller flights. Now Los Rodeos is a small regional airport with just one runway and one taxiway but can stand the weight of the 747s. So planes were actually having to park along the taxiway making this unavailable. So there was only two air traffic controllers, ATCs, on shift at the time as it was a very quiet Sunday and they were really not accustomed to the amount of traffic that was actually coming in and with all this traffic coming in you'd really think that the ATCs wouldn't be listening to football on the radio within the background at the time I think that's stupid on their behalf but so the KLM flight lands first and allows passengers to disembark the plane and go into the terminal and this is so the air, the passengers can sort of get some rest, maybe get some more exercise by walking around, get some food and maybe do some shopping. Along with quite a few other passengers that were diverted to Los Rodeos, like I said, from Las Palmas. So the airport was actually coming overwhelmed with the amount of passengers coming into the terminal. 
So shortly after, the Pan Am flight lands and is instructed to park down the ramp area behind three other planes, now blocking all the taxiways. However, with the Pan Am flight, passengers aren't allowed actually. The passengers weren't actually allowed to disembark the plane, just due to the amount of people that were in the terminal at the same time. And this actually disgruntled a lot of passengers after such a long flight from America. So after all the diverted aircraft had landed in Los Rodeos, ATC actually came up with plans for the two 747s, the, uh, the KLM and the Pan Am, to depart first by taxiing up the runway, turning round and then taking off, if you could picture that. However, they did start to have a little bit of a worry as the weather deteriorated at Los Rodeos, bringing in fog and cloud onto the runway. And... This was also seen by the KLM flight as they knew that if this weather actually got any worse, they would actually be stranded in Gran Canaria, at, or I mean Tenerife, wherever they got to in, at the end of the day for the night, and actually caused delays of other flights going ahead the next day with the same aircraft. And that would actually cause thousands for the airlines. So the crew on the KLM were actually getting pr pretty worried. So shortly after the bomb threat at Las Palmas in Gran Canaria, in Gran Canaria, sorry, I'm mixing my words up now. The ATC at Gran Canaria actually contacted Los Rodeos to say that the airport was actually open, going to be opening back up due to the bomb being contained. And with the good news, the flights could start leaving from Los Rodeos to Las Palmas. I'm getting all mixed up with my airports at the moment. The passengers on the KLM flight started to reboard with passengers, whilst the crew actually decided to refuel their 747. That would both increase their speed when they actually take off. And with the added 55 tonnes, they were hoping that would be enough fuel to last them from to get to Las Palmas and then back to Amsterdam. So just behind them was the Pan Am flight that was actually ready to depart, but it was just waiting for KLM to refuel their aircraft. And with the captain and first officer getting a bit frustrated as well, they decided to go down and see if their 747 could actually overtake the KLM 747 and get onto the runways first. But they did find that they actually had no room to do that. So disgruntledly sort of got back onto their aircraft and did actually wait for KLM. So after refueling, KLM were actually delayed even more due to a family losing two children within the airport terminal. So cabin crew instructed the family, instructed after the family came to them just to mention that they've lost their children, they instructed the runway controller of the airport to try and find the children within the terminal, which he actually does successfully and returns them to the flight. However, during this time, visibility from the fog from the fog actually goes down from 10 kilometers to three kilometers within minutes. The KLM crews start their engines one by one and are instructed to taxi down the runway, which they do. The ATC then order the Pan Am crew to follow the KLM flight down the runway and also backtrack. So Pan Am started following the KLM aircraft at about 10 miles per hour down the runway, but due to the fog that was coming, Pan Am actually lost sight of the KLM aircraft, which is quite shocking seeing how big the KLM aircraft is. So that shows just how bad the fog actually was. So as the visibility of this fog drops down to 500 meters, 
Pan Am actually asked ATC if they could actually turn off from the runway, which ATC does confirm and tells Pan Am to leave from the third exit to the left. That actually leaves Pan Am quite confused as the C3 exit was actually a sharp turn that would take them actually taxiing in the wrong direction. So they confirm again with ATC that it is C3 they want to go down and ATC confirmed that again quite disgruntled that it was C3 to go down but Panam make the wrong decision and decide to go with the easier option of the C4 exit instead which is quite a bit ahead on the runway however due to this fog ATC can, can't actually see that Panam took the wrong exit from their tower so they think that Panam is heading to C3 when they were actually heading for C4 exit so ATC asked Panam to report their position, but Panam just replied saying that they couldn't find a turnoff. So just after 5pm, the KLM aircraft reached the end of the runway and make a 180 degree turn ready to go. Van Zanten, the captain, was really frustrated by the delays and was really wanting to beat the fog and sort of get out of last last. I'm getting confused with my airports again, Los Rodeos, to get back to Las Palmas. And actually went to get all the controls ready and started revving the engines to take off. But he was actually stopped suddenly by First Officer Merce, who actually told him that they haven't actually got clearance yet from ATC. So Merce then contacts the ATC to ask if they did have clearance. And ATC actually replied saying they have clearance to fly. But... With this, that did not mean that they had clearance to take off. So with this communication, Panam Captain Grubbs actually heard the communication between ATC and KLM and started shouting that the Panam aircraft was still taxiing down the runway. Sadly, with all the football in the background and the communications and interferences, they weren't actually heard. And within the KLM aircraft Van Zanten was feeling a bit embarrassed by Merz for pointing out the mishap that he made and actually with confidence gets ready and starts accelerating the aircraft along the runway with the hope to take off so KLM are already on the go meanwhile the Pan Am flight is literally just starting to turn into the C4 exit and is still partly on the runway and suddenly KLM come accelerating down the runway and they actually notice the Pan Am aircraft in front of them and in a panic Van Zanten actually tried to lift off the ground making the tail as they were going up so high so fast it actually made the tail of the KLM aircraft actually skid along the tarmac Unfortunately, they were actually unsuccessful with the takeoff and they accelerated fast enough and ripped through the Pan Am aircraft, taking the roof off the Pan Am aircraft and even the upper deck and just leaving it to burst into flames. After the impact of the KLM aircraft smashing into the Pan Am aircraft, the KLM aircraft actually continued to fly around 150 metres until plummeting to the ground in a huge fireball just due to the 55 tonnes of fuel that they did add just before departing. That was a real mistake they did unfortunately make and unfortunately due to the flames of the fireball there were no survivors on the KLM flight. So back at ATC in the control tower, they were completely unaware that this crash had actually occurred due to the fog until they were contacted by a plane that was within their holding pattern ready to land at Los Rodeos and they contacted ATC stating that there was black smoke coming from the run runway.
So shortly after this, firefighters were called and they actually went straight to the KLM flight to take out the fire before realising that the Pan Am aircraft was also involved and that was about 20 minutes later that the firefighters got to the Pan Am aircraft. Sadly, within the Pan Am flight, 335 passengers and crew were killed, but 61 passengers and crew did actually survive, including Captain Grubbs, who tried to evacuate the aircraft and somehow managed to get down to the cargo hold with the floor collapsing, but did manage to escape the aircraft along with some other crew. So it was lucky that they were able to evacuate the aircraft quick enough. So altogether, the disaster actually took 583 lives and later that day the Spanish authorities set up a morgue within one of the airport hangars at Los Rodeos. So shortly after the crash within the next day the aircraft air crash investigators started coming in from Spain, the Netherlands and America as they were called over to investigate and after the investigations, they actually deemed that the bomb at Las Palmas that went off diverting all the flights and the weather with the fog was actually unavoidable. But they did all agree that the pilot error was the main reason that the crash actually occurred. However, there were some disagreements with some of the investigators. So the Dutch investigators actually blamed the air traffic control for their pronunciations and also that they were listening to a football match within the background which may have distracted them from what they were needing to focus on and they also blamed the Pan Am air crew for taking the wrong exit but on the other hand the Spanish and US investigators actually said that Pan Am mistakes they did openly agree that Pan Am mistakes did play a role within the crash but they did also blame Van Santen for taking off with no clearance so back in the day it was seen that no other crew members had the authority to tell the captains what to do so when surprisingly when Van Santen went to take off and was stopped by Merce when Van Santen wanted to first take off he must have felt really embarrassed and sort of felt like he should one up the crew after they told him what to do and sort of got frustrated by this so I think after he got some sort of clearance from ATC he didn't want to be embarrassed again for a second time and just actually decided to take off so it was quite I know Mer stopped him the first time that he went to take off but it's a wonder why he didn't like tell Van Santen to stop the second time when they only had clearance to fly and didn't have clearance to actually take off so it sort of just shows that the flight crew weren't able to work as a team so luckily today we have learnt from our mistakes and cockpit culture is actually very different these days and pilots are actually and flight engineers are actually encouraged to have an input if they believe that a mistake is being made but it was even said, which is quite shocking to hear, that the flight engineer of the KLM flight did actually hear Pan Am's warning when others didn't, when Pan Am tried to shout to everyone that they were still taxiing on the runway. And it's quite shocking to hear that the flight engineer, Schroeder, actually heard that and didn't actually do anything about it. So he could have stopped that whole crash and all those deaths from happening just by saying to Van Zanten, you need to stop because they're still taxiing up the runway, didn't you hear that? So it's quite different to see 
back in the day how scared people were of those that were above them so I did study this a bit in depth so within my first year of university we sort of did airline crew resource management and this was actually one of our assignments to look into this crash and who was sort of to blame and how things could have developed with we were sort of talking about how things have developed within future times of authority and who can input on what and the fact that people need to repeat what they have said to ATC and all other communications just to make sure that they've heard it right and everything so it was really interesting to learn about this I think it was called airline crew resource management so it's sort of looking into psychology of the crew so I really enjoyed that so I think I really like looking into this sort of air disaster from that essay so I was really interested to sort of go into this in depth so from this crash in present day and other near misses there has actually been a development that I hope goes across to all other airports and this was at Dallas airport and they actually installed a sort of traffic light system on the runway with the runway lights so once the aircraft gets onto the runway it may be green which means they can take off once they do have clearance from ATC make sure they do have clearance but if the runway lights are actually red they do actually have to stop if they and that could be because an aircraft is landing or an aircraft is taxiing along the runway which I think is a brilliant brilliant idea so I think hopefully they'll put that on more runways in the future and all those near misses and that massive disaster that took so many lives could be prevented in the future so like i said there are so many different things that went wrong and bad decisions that were really made that caused a crash from both the airline crew and also the atc with also the weather and the diversions from las palmas due to the bomb being involved in that as well so i'm really just hoping fingers crossed that there's hope and pray that there's not another crash like this in the future but let me know on my instagram page who do you think was more to blame for this fateful crash as like i said there's quite a few inputs and pilot errors that were made so we now conclude our podcast for the week and this episode has now sadly come to an end so i hope you enjoyed this topic of discussion i'm hoping to in the future look into more accidents and talk about them in future episodes so thank you for listening to this and i hope you can enjoy me enjoy hope you can enjoy me hope you can join me next week for episode five wow episode five where i will be discussing the most recent aviation and travel news again and also our topic of discussion which is looking into the history of the uk national carrier british airways which will be an interesting one i haven't really researched into british airways much recently so i'm really looking forward to researching and finding a bit more about the national carrier so i hope you can join me next week so i'm ebony this is up in the sky and i hope you'll have a great week Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Up in the Sky. New episodes will be posted every Wednesday. Follow at Up in the Sky Aviation Podcast on Instagram for information and updates. Hope you all have a great week.